0: Well, hello, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal Engine and also Alien versus Predator. We're your hosts. My name is Alex, and I'm Jacob. Welcome Ed. to the podcast, everyone. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe,
1: rate, whatever it is, wherever you are. Especially for our uh, our listeners, um, I gotta say, you know, I I it amazes me how how many folks uh, listen to the podcast on. Uh, the different platforms, particularly Spotify. We apparently have a lot of Spotify listeners. So I guess shout out to you guys this week. Um, We really appreciate your support and everyone's support. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Alex, what's going on this week?
0: Oh, boy, Um, all sorts of stuff. The biggest thing that's been on my radar for a little while is uh, MetaHuman Animator. Um, That came out uh, a little over a week ago. And that is something that I've been fortunate to be. I've been beta testing it pretty much since GDC. And the moment I got to like play with that myself, I thought like this is going to change everything. Because so many people, I think, didn't quite believe the GDC demo. It looked like too clean, too perfect. A lot of people thought it was pre-recorded, that nothing there actually happened live. But unlike Apple, Epic still does do things live. And uh, I think everyone's really having their minds blown by how well Metahuman Animator works with just an iPhone 12 or newer, you need that depth data and Unreal Engine. you know, you're now able to get a level of realism with animation that before would have taken a very very talented studio and now you can have people just making like very silly animations where they're you know talking about their dog and telling a story and it looks uh very natural and the reason i know metahuman animator is working so well is all the tests i've been seeing from the past week is there's a level of joy that is coming out of all of these performances (laughs) i'm seeing the virtual performances and there's like this giddiness that i'm seeing on the metahumans and that is the the performer that's the person shining through this character in a way that just wasn't possible before and that's super cool.
1: Yeah that is I, I, I you know when we did our GDC kind of recap um, you know that was one definitely one of the things that stood out to, to both of us. Um, I, I mean it, it just really is insane to, to think of how much complexity it takes out of that process uh, and, and I, I get the feeling like there, there are going to be a lot of people who enter this field or, or start using these tools and don't and we'll probably not even realize how complex some of these things used to be, um, or maybe they'll go to a different platform and, and have to, you know, maybe they'll open up Godot and try to figure out how, how they can do something like this. And, and you know, they are, they'll realize kind of how much, uh, how many amazing features kind of Unreal is, is packing into this particular feature.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, One thing that's really blown me away and anyone who goes to my YouTube channel will see tons and tons of different videos about MetaHuman Animator there is the level of detail with just the tongue. Like I started to notice as I was doing these tests, like, oh, the tongue isn't just this binary like snake flick anymore. Um, There seems to be more going on there. So I did something that made me feel very uncomfortable, which was to like put a camera right inside the mouth (laughs) of my MetaHuman and it's like wet in there and everything. Like it feels way too realistic. And if you just look at the tongue like all the right shapes are happening for all the different um sounds you're pronouncing and a lot of that happens um as a a pass that's based on the waveform so it's hearing what you're saying and actually adding in that extra level of detail with the tongue what you don't get is if you just sit there and go blah blah, blah." it won't do the tongue properly for that but as long as it hears actual sounds coming out um it's remarkably accurate
1: so what does it do if you just make random noises does it
0: It'll follow the mouth, and it it might get like a little bit of tongue stuff, but not nearly at the level of accuracy yeah. when it can figure out like the phonetics of what you're saying.
1: Right, because it's not actually tracking your tongue. It's just exactly yeah. yeah there's
0: no tongue tracking, uh, but there are. And I don't know if this was the case before, but once I saw how much the tongue was moving, I was like, I wonder how many muscles are in there. And of course, there's no muscles, but there are nine bones inside the metahuman tongue now, which wow. is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I I remember, um, you know, there there was. Well, last episode, we talked about the deformation, the, the skin deformation demo, right? Yeah. Um, and and the, the model they had trained for that. Part of that same kind of talk at GDC also went into a little bit about the tongue and, and kind of how MetaHuman was designed, where they essentially created like this human space that you navigate by when you set up your MetaHuman. We also had an episode a while back about, you know, the DNA, the MetaHuman DNA and kind yeah. of how that works. And it gave me a new appreciation for it um, because they took this approach that was very strange. You know, it's not just a bunch of blend shapes. It's not just like a bunch of, you know, like uh, uh, sliders. They're really actually generating this kind of probabilistic space between, you know, real human faces you know so they'll have people model faces or scan faces and all of this data goes into what they're doing and so like with this tongue demo like it's clear that this approach has been effective because now they're able to get this kind of like interesting you know byproduct i, I i'm assuming it's an ai approach i believe it is yeah machine learning. but but they're able to do this in such a way that it, it doesn't seem completely ridiculous right because if you just did kind of what you would expect, where it's just like, oh, predict the position of the tongue. And it wasn't as part of this larger framework. It'd probably just be going all over the place, right? Like it look ridiculous, which is, I, I assume, something they were trying to avoid, particularly with tongue tracking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think this is really cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people now, we've all been spoiled with all the love and and care that's gone into the face. And now the biggest, like, you know, spoiled child complaint I'm hearing now is like, okay, but what about the body? Like, we need more um simple full body tracking kinds of options. And especially I I don't know about if you've actually tried to play more with the um the deformation demo, but um, that's not like an easy one to modify or play with. You can't like just take your own metahuman and apply those same kinds of uh, heuristics to it. Um, And in fact, anyone who like goes through the documentation or watches the GDC demo, will see that like there's a whole like Maya plugin that gets used to like twist the body into all sorts of other positions. And that's still like a fairly manual process. So we aren't yet at that kind of like, one-click solution that we do have on the face side where we'd say like okay here's my body you know now let's process that in the cloud with machine learning and have it twist into every conceivable shape it could make and then have it come back on the other end with all the nice like muscle deformation and cloth deformation that we saw in uh, in that demo that demo as far as i can tell like it's really just for viewing there's not a lot you can do to change it or modify it or play with it unless you have maya and you want to dive into all that
1: yeah I, i i think that um I mean you could kind of see where things are headed right yeah. like uh you can definitely see that they have a commitment to making these sorts animation in particular making animation simple mm-hmm. right i i do think in terms of games like animation is one of the most challenging if not the most technically complicated in my opinion parts of you know tech art so to speak right like there are many parts and yes you can go very deep in all of them and there's many of com- many complexities all over the place but i remember when i was first learning a lot of these tools animation was all- always the thing that intimidated me the most because you need the most kind of uh, uh most like uh, uh thorough knowledge of you know all these different tools and systems and then as soon as you try to add or add additional layers of the complexity it just balloons into a huge problem i, I mean it 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 really is incredible kind of how much they're simplifying. And like, I I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, we we will get some point in the future where we're able to do full body tracking. I mean, there's folks who are doing this in a kind of different approach, not necessarily 3D, but using like generative AI, you know, uh, um, companies like Wonder Dynamics, for example, who are out there, you know, you, you take a video on your phone and they can essentially replace you with some, you know, uh, artificial, you know, CGI, uh, uh, you know, figure in your place. And I think that's extremely exciting. Uh, It's going to be fundamentally different than like what Epic's going to do or what like these more um, focused tools are going to do. But you can definitely see where things are going.
0: Yeah, and speaking of where things are going, um, something that kind of rocked my world the past couple weeks, uh, there's a company called The Infinite Reality who I've been working with for a number of years. They were responsible for an Unreal Engine version of Burning Man um, during the first year of COVID, where the theme of Burning Man that year was actually multiverses. And we've done a number of Unreal Engine projects with them since then. So they uh, asked us a couple of weeks ago if we could help them with a demo they were doing for London Tech Week that was going to have a MetaHuman uh, in kind of a car showroom This was for Vodafone and uh, they wanted you to be able to talk to the MetaHuman and get like a fairly natural language response. Yeah. And I thought like, okay, this is going to be really weird. And like, how are we going to make this work in VR? And it was surprisingly simple. We were using um, a plugin called InWorld AI. And the, as soon as we got like, you know, the eyes right, where like the MetaHuman properly looks at you and the body motion is all pretty natural. Uh, we even got to a point toward the end where the voice even became much less robotic and much more natural. And I kind of got shivers toward the end of that because suddenly <laughs> it's like, this is starting to pass the Turing test. This is a, starting to feel like something kind of real, and the response time is is a lot quicker than you know something like ChatGPT. So you can actually imagine carrying on a conversation. And, and by the way, yeah. the reason the response time can be so much quicker than something like ChatGPT is that the the model itself is much much smaller. You in this case, you know, this model was trained to know all sorts of things about this car, and you can ask it how fast can it go, um, how many yeah miles can it get, all that kind of stuff. Tell me about the rim. And how they're constructed. Uh, and then there were some fun connections inside Unreal, like can I see the car in blue? And can I see the doors open? And it could like trigger all these different events. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And, and and that is so much smaller and, and faster to process in terms of a um a machine learning model compared to something has to train compared to something as massive as like all the crazy Skyrim yeah. chat GPT stuff people have been seeing.
1: Yeah, I I so we saw a similar demo from Nvidia back at Computex this year. Um yeah. It was a uh, NVIDIA's ACE demo where they were util- utilizing like a few different components to do so- something like what you're talking about. It sounds like you, you got pretty far down that route, which I think is really cool. I'd love to see this demo at some point. Yeah. It but, happened in like a week too. It was so fast. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So I, I mean, so that demo is, you know, is u- utilizing like, um, you know, a-, a model for natural language. I think it's Nemo. Um, they're using uh, like uh, uh, Riva for like, let's say, te- like speech recognition. So you can like talk in natural voice to the character. And it's using, you know, like audio to face in order to similar to what, you know, MetaHuman is doing with the tongue to then map these like natural language responses back to the the uh, uh the npc which i think is nuts right like and that demo is interesting i think a lot of people were very skeptical of it they're like this is definitely scripted like this is definitely a little too on the on, on the nose for an npc to just be gathering um so I, I mean i'm assuming that it's all you know still very early days for their tech stack I, but i'm i'm very excited
0: to hear that you kind of got some interesting results already Yeah. And the the tech stack really is key. Like it's never just one solution or one um, piece of software. Like the reason we were able to get much better uh, uh, voice later on was through 11 labs. And so, yeah, you start to combine like audio to face and and all these other elements so that it becomes as natural as possible. And as long as all these things can share common protocols and all have plugins for Unreal, um, the way you can start to have them, you know, amplify each other and make a more natural experience is really incredible. And just the speed of all that, like a year ago, yeah. I wouldn't have thought this would all be possible in such a, a quick and kind of seamless way.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it is pretty insane to see this. And we've talked about AI a bunch on on this podcast and I, I know it's uh, for some folks, you know, divisive. Actually, this is interesting and, and maybe a bit of a sidetrack, but this came up recently uh did you hear about the um Marvel um intro for uh, what is it called uh, AI yeah. it's, it's for a new movie that came oh, out secret, for, uh, invasion. secret Invasion
0: yeah it's yeah. all AI right it was yeah. this
1: AI generated intro to the movie and pissed everyone off mad yeah and they're like oh, you're replacing VFX artists meanwhile like this is method studios so it's a VFX shop who got paid for this right uh and it's it's a big vfx shot so it's not like they just took some you know uh, prompt engineer off the street or some shit like that right they paid a vfx shop to do this and they came back with this intro cuz they thought it was an interesting take mm-hmm. where they were saying oh well ai is going to kind of morph these characters and faces together it's going to be kind of you're not really going to know what you're looking at and it, it kind of fit the theme of the movie and they're like let's Use this as an opportunity to experiment with this
0: technology. And everyone just went up in flames, right? Yeah. Um, so. I, I mean, I'm definitely on the side of, as usual, like the people who are are, are getting paid to do the work. And it, like you said, you know, no one was taken off the street by this. I thought it was a very interesting use of Midjourney. It's for the um. Whoop, there goes my face. That's a good frame to freeze in. Um, I thought it was a very good use of Midjourney, and um, it feels like it. It makes sense in the show. Um, I think that uh, being able to have artists curate and still make key creative decisions while using this tech as yeah. a tool that's the important thing where it becomes a problem is when it's a producer who's like yeah we don't want to pay a vfx studio so we will do this instead right yeah 100% and
1: this was the concern with you know like for example the writer strike that's ongoing like oh well you know does this so there, for people who don't know there's a hollywood writers strike going on right now And in a lot of studios, this is uh, a problem. Um, But part of the reason they're striking is because uh, of the influence that AI is playing now in their industry with the concerns that, you know, are they going to replace writers with, you know, natural language AI that can generate, for example, scripts based on, you know, scripts that have been made in the past, right? Because you can think, you know, think of a, a long episodic series. You know, with many seasons and lots of writing behind it, it's not inconceivable that you could generate many new episodes scripts based off of that much, you know, content and data. So I I do think it is a real threat for for writers out there. I do think it could be a tool to enable them too, just like any other writer. You know, I think it's great for writer's block, or you know, I certainly can say for like programming it you know, the kind of writer's block of programming where you're just sitting there, you don't know how to start a problem. Like AI is great for that. My hope is that, you know, folks see tools like, you know, Midjourney in, in this case, but also, you know, metahuman and tongue, you know, the tongue animation, you don't think about it being AI. You just think, wow, that's so awesome. I don't have to think about animating a tongue anymore. I didn't want to do that anyways, right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, I think, the, the sorts of use cases people should be focusing on more than, you know, people experimenting or you know whatever else it is
0: yeah and certainly you know the biggest problem that i have at least with a lot of the ai stuff happening is just the fact that no one who helped create the, the the learning models that these are all based on um is getting compensated in any way and i think we did talk about this a little bit in another podcast but the fact that you know uh NBC could decide to do like a Friends revival and be like, oh yeah, we're not going to hire any writers. We'll just have it train on all the previous Friends episodes and generate a bunch of new content. Like that's a really straightforward example where it's like, okay, well, that is only possible because of everyone who helped write the previous Friends episodes. And yet the way things are set up right now, there's no need to compensate them at all.
1: Yeah. I I think this is an obvious problem. I, I mean, think about some of the problems we have you know, beyond this in today's day and age. And one of the ones that people forgot about very quickly is, you know, crypto and NFTs, right? Like, what was the debate around crypto and NFTs? It was, oh, well, you don't have to compensate the original artist if you go out and sell an NFT of the Mona Lisa or whatever, right? Like, Mm. it's the same argument in the sense that like, okay, well, we we have fundamental issues with intellectual property rights on the internet. A lot of content has been, posted and shared in places that are public and that data has been consumed and digested by millions of people, as well as very large companies who have other interests, right? Like this is a fundamental problem that we have in general. Like the fact that you can find a high quality photo of the Mona Lisa, you know, was not a problem 20 years ago. It Mm -hmm. just really wasn't, right? Because no one went around sharing their photos of of Mona Lisa. Like search engines were very young. Like it it was not something that was useful, right? So like we have some fundamental problems here. And I, I don't think any one technology is to blame for them. Like I don't think NFTs are to blame for this. I also don't think AI is to blame for the same problems. Like there has to be some solution that, yes, it has, you have to compensate the people who, made the content like you have to compensate the ideas like we're, we're the regulation though is just so far behind it right and, and it's such a a can of worms where it's like once the cat's out of the box you you, you can't go back right like
0: yeah yeah Oh, yeah, no no one is going to stop AI. So, yeah, the, the regulation side is really important. You know, the WGA is asking for things like, okay, like, yeah, AI is going to be here, but, like, you still need to hire writers. Like, kind of like what we're talking about yeah. with the secret invasion title sequence. Like, still, there needs to be someone who is the same kind of person you'd be hiring even without AI, and they are at least shepherding this through the, the, the process. Um, yeah. The main thing that makes me nervous is, like, right now, and maybe for the foreseeable future, like there's always a little hint of something being off whenever you see or read anything written by AI. But sure. I think we forget that a lot of people like a lot of, for lack of a better term, comfort food, something that feels familiar, something that doesn't require too much you know, thought process and brain power. So I think maybe the HBOs or the, the maxes of the yeah. world are kind of safe for a while because they're trying to make prestige content that has like, a level of writing a la Succession. And I think we're a long way from any AI being able to produce a, an episode of Succession at that level of quality. But for you know yeah. 60% of kind of the run of the mill television and, and even movies to a certain degree that you do see, I think it is believable that we're gonna get to that point where it's like, yeah, an AI can get something not too far off from um, what's being made right now because it has so much familiar content to base that off of. And that's what I always think of with AI. AI is very good at, you know, feeding off of other human made things and saying, I can make a thing like that too. I made this like the mean. Um, But Uh, whenever you need something novel, whenever you need something that is going to be pushing the bar in some kind of way, it can't really do that. It can inspire a human to do that, but it can't really do it on its own.
1: Yeah. I I saw a pretty interesting thread and I I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it here, but I saw a pretty interesting thread on Twitter. About um, some folks who had like tried to kind of work some of these models into essentially responding to the prompt, like create new a new art style or yeah. some some new art form, right? <laughs> and like the the responses it got back were interesting, but fundamentally they're not any more valuable than anyone else's ideas, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it might be an, like I think one of the ideas were like it's like AI like imitation art, where it's like a human creates like some piece of art that is meant to imitate the kind of comical style or, you know, some, some you know, meme of AI art, right? Like, oh, that's an interesting idea. I mean, that's, that's certainly not something I had thought of. It doesn't mean no one's thought of it, of course. And I have no way of verifying that, but that's the same with any art. So, okay, that's fine. But does that mean I would go to see an ex- exhibit on it? Oh, well, I don't know. Like, not if the the AI had had come up with an idea and made it, that would not make it interesting anymore. Like, that's the whole point, right? Yeah. Like, there are fundamental things about art that you just can't measure that way. And it's also, you know, to the extent that w- humans are still the primary consumers of AI models and... You know, the future is a scary place, who knows? But like, as long as humans are the primary consumers of AI models, we get the final judgment as to what is valuable to us. Yeah. And and we have the dollars to pay for it, right? Like,
0: I I saw an article recently as well that showed like just the complete cluster of uh what happens when ai starts to feed on other ai like it really does need that human input to make it actually interesting and novel and um if without us you know it, it's uh, it's not a good world for the the robots left behind so at least we need to end up like the world of the matrix where we're all sitting there as batteries where we're like having dreams or something yeah. and it's like <laughs> taking all the ideas from our dreams and feeding off right. of that
1: right right, right, right. exactly exactly <laughs> we, we need you know, hive mind is is the eventual system. I, I, I think it's super easy to get bogged down in, in doomsday scenarios with this, but it's fundamentally it's, it's a technology like any other. And, you know, this is a story that's played out many, many times with anything that is new or interesting, right? Like people thought TVs were going to brainwash you and turn you into mindless zombies. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, these things happen and technology is scary because we don't understand it usually when it first, you know, first arrives, but we, we, we fundamentally don't know what the limits are and to speculate, you know, is probably not useful, but also, you know, to completely disregard it or, you know, call it, you know, call it evil, I think is also a mistake.
0: Yeah, man. So, all right, let's get back to some yeah. Unreal Engine stuff. Oh, but first, before we get back to Unreal Engine stuff, uh, I, I have a, a new prediction to make regarding our friend uh, the Apple Vision Pro oh. and, um, and Unity because... Here's what happened. Yep. yep. Um, I was actually Unity's office uh, in New York City this week uh, for a very cool event um, that was very interesting because I was at an Epic event like the week before. <laughs> I can say Epic is much better at feeding people because the Unity office was like completely out of food after 10 minutes. Wow. Um, but we, I got to talking to some people there about Apple Vision Pro and, and Unity and Unreal and all that kind of fun stuff. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm thinking especially now that I've actually opened up Unity for the first time in a little while and played with the simulator that Apple released to basically say, like, here's what it'll be like to actually, you know, work with an Apple Vision Pro. It's uh, even better than the Magic Leap simulator that came out in 2018. Really makes you feel like you you understand how your content will work in a different room. And um, the conclusion I've come to for the moment, I've still, you know, we're only a couple weeks out from the initial Apple announcement, is... It is unlikely that Apple will actively block Epic from creating uh, a plugin for the Apple Vision Pro, but I do think they are going to make it much, much, much easier for Unity to have an excellent plugin and excellent tools. And there's going to be a lot more first party support there. And in fact, if, if Apple really wants to make Epic angry, I think that's kind of the way you do it actually, because if you just say like no Epic, no Unreal Engine stuff allowed at all, then Epic and lots of people get to be like very indignant and like, what the heck? And there's actually grounds for like legal action and all that kind of stuff there. But if Epics or if Apple's like, oh yeah, sure, like here's all the raw materials you need to do all the stuff with our headset, go wild, but we're not gonna help you at all. Yep. Then you suddenly have this situation where anything being made with Unreal is just at a fundamental disadvantage. And we, we actually see right. this even today. There are certain plugins or certain tools, certain hardware that just works a lot better on unity or unreal and you can feel that d- disparity so already seeing like how incredibly built out the unity ecosystem is already for the apple vision pro it's easy for me to see this future where it's just 10 times easier to develop something for the apple vision pro and yeah. you will be able to do it with unreal but it's going to be such a grind and i think that'll frustrate people <laughs>
1: yeah i i think yeah that i think that's fairly similar to to what my reaction was initially i mm. I, I mean like I, I, yeah, it, there are grounds for legal action. They, they can't, pre, you know, prevent folks using a specific tool from developing it. Yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense. They can block Epic. Of course, I think I, I mentioned is like, I, I, I do think they can say Epic can't publish anything on App Apple vision pro. Like they have the right to do that. They did that with Fortnite, right? They have to have grounds for it still. Otherwise that's anti-competitive, um, but they could, um, you know, I, 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 think, you know, Unity was their partner from the start, they came prepared. I I would love to try the simulator. Can you you tell me more about it? I am kind of curious to to hear what the experience is like, because I haven't opened up Unity in
0: and not try anything like that. Yeah, so uh, fortunately, someone in my company has an old uh, MacBook that they just installed it on and we we're all kind of logging into it because it does require Xcode or requires Unity uh, oh, okay. 2022. Um, you know, there's like very specific versioning for everything. But the fundamental idea is you can actually, you know, turn on a room and you can configure the room in different ways and like test out triggering different kinds of inputs and actions and see uh, your content inside of that room fundamentally it's very similar again to the magic leap simulator uh where i i linked a couple episodes back uh, or actually in the last episode um a tutorial i'd made like a couple days after the um the uh, the magic leap simulator came out and this is uh, kind of doing the same thing but it's it's done in the apple way it's done with a lot of polish you can tell that apple has been giving unity like a lot of uh i want to say runway to produce these things because they feel they feel very thought out it doesn't feel like a rush to the simulator market like unity was no, uh, yeah, trying i, to I think up, unity
1: needed this opportunity right yeah. based on on where they were so i i do think that this was a a very important thing for them um and i'm excited i, I mean look I, I i haven't touched unity a long time i probably still won't pick up <laughs> unity just for this um you know we're not changing the name of the podcast anytime no. soon. but I, I do think it's interesting i i fundamentally though like Apple has made it clear that the gaming market is not their focus for this device, right? And Unreal has never been about productivity applications for me, per, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did get confirmation about WebXR. Yeah, I do think that's a way better delivery mechanism for games, anyways, given the battery life of this device, you know, the resolution it's running at. Um, so, you know, for me, I think it makes more sense that to just, uh, you know, if if you're gonna develop content in Unreal and you want it to work on, on Apple Vision, I, I don't think you should, you know, run and buy a MacBook with Xcode just to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think a lot of people will make that choice personally. I, I mean, and don't get me wrong, a lot of people who want to do productivity, who want to do very specific kinds of applications, I'm sure they will, and it will be a market, but they made it clear that the folks that they are going to highlight are on the productivity side. They're on the, um, you know, the things we saw about communication and social, right? Like they're very focused on that. And they'll let Meta hold, you know, the crown for gaming while they kind of work out who their user base is and figure out if, you know, fully immersive games even make sense for them.
0: Or their consumers. All that being said, um, I mean, I I find it hard to believe that if someone comes out with a really novel use of gaming for the Apple Vision Pro, a la beat saber on MetaQuest, yeah. that Apple wouldn't, you know, promote the hell out of that. Like you know, anyone who uh, has an Apple Vision Pro, which at first is probably only going to be like a hundred thousand people or so, Apple is going to want to find any excuse to get people excited about using that device or or buying it if it isn't selling as well as they hope. So, yeah. you know, I, I I wonder, I wonder if they would like really try to narrow their vision down to just saying the productivity market.
1: I well, I I think that um, well, remember there are no controllers.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So most of these games are just really not fit for this I, like beat saber no sure you can wave your hands around but like i think i don't think that accomplishes the same goals yeah. uh, that did with you know other headsets and I, we don't i i personally don't know how good the hand tracking is you know behind your head and all of the different positions that you know we don't um, know that was the whole point of the controllers with you know the 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 haptic or sorry the um gyroscopes in them for when they're behind your back is to estimate those positions. The Apple headset has none of that. Right. So there's like, there's a whole lot of gaps here that I I don't see how it crosses and I don't see where they paid attention to the gaming market in the device. And I think personally there will be games just like there were games on iPhone, you know, when it first came out, but it will be about the ecosystem and you know, the professionals
0: and the folks that Apple typically tailors this devices to, in my opinion i'm glad we're disagreeing because i can't wait in like a year yeah. to check in and we can see how everything played out because uh, yeah. my quick rebuttal to that is we already know apple has a nice partnership with like sony playstation yep. controllers work well with uh iphones and that will probably continue to be the case here i'm sure yep. there are going to be third-party um accessories and peripherals i keep imagining because people keep saying like well i wish there was like more haptic feedback i could imagine something as simple as like a thimble that goes i just want my apple watch have haptic feedback apple watch would be right? great yeah you mentioned that last episode i think that would Really awesome! I'm vibrant. sure someone will come up with a really cool game idea that somehow integrates the Apple Watch or the iPhone. The haptic feedback from that could be great. And I'll even just propose like a really dumb idea that could potentially be fun entirely within the ecosystem of what they have. um Your Cyclops, your Cyclops from X-Men, and you literally just look at things and you zap them every time you tap your finger. And it could yeah. be like a, a fun version of Duck Hunt. You know, if yeah, the eye I, tracking is that good.
1: <laughs> I, I I I see that I. I still feel like that's fundamentally different than like the way Meta, you know, talks about games and gaming. Like they're targeting a market that plays like Call of Duty all day on PC. Whereas Apple, even if they do games, they're going to be targeting people who play mobile games on iPhone.
0: Mm -hmm, Sure. And
1: I I think that is a bit of a different market, though you might be right that that maybe that becomes a a focus for them in the future. I just, I, I personally don't see, you know, that focus playing out i think they have too much to figure out within their operating system and the different you know best practices that they need to kind of enforce for this device to work well versus the clusterfuck that Mm -hmm. i I keep swearing a lot on this podcast i was told i swear too much i'm sorry i i i I work all day with folks from jersey okay (laughs) this is how it explains it it yeah um like you know, Meta, they put out the device, they still tailored the, you know, they kind of had to skim off the app store with, with you know, with a lot of, uh, 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 you know, carefully chosen apps, and yet it didn't really work because the sideloading community said, we don't want any of that. You know, like there was a lot of conflict there. I think Apple doesn't want that drama. I think they want to focus in on the use cases they, that, you know, folks who buy, know macbooks or higher-end consumer devices are are interested in because this is an expensive device this isn't like an iphone you know r or whatever they call the like cheap iphone right to play mobile games this is an expensive device i think it tailors towards the professional community they're calling it the vision pro right which is you know indicative uh, of that you know direction i think iphone
0: pro yeah
1: i I think they have very interesting partners that they can work with you know you mentioned sony they have the controller in a few of their demos, you know, PlayStation controller, and you get to play a game. I, they're going to use, you know, Sony's streaming service so you can play your PlayStation on your a- Apple Vision Pro. And I think that'll be sweet
0: virtual screen.
1: But that is a virtual screen, right? Which is, again, going back to not really what Metas is. It's not a fully immersive 3D game. It's not, you know, all the kinds of content that we've seen in the past, um, which is, it might not be better, but it's different. Right. Like, I I feel like this is going to be a fundamentally different device than what we've seen in the past with ARVR. Yeah. Maybe not fundamentally different from like Magic Leap or, you know, uh, um, like Vario and some of those Mm -hmm. um, in terms of who they're targeting and what they want to do with it. But certainly from, you know, the Quest series, I think this is going to be fundamentally different.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, let's run through a few more um, Unreal Engine things of note. Uh, The 5.2.1 hotfix was released, which is nice. As usual, there's some good bug fixes in there. Um, The one that caught my eye that I'll give a shout out to is, (laughs) pardon me lots of suspense for this, the matrix city sample demo, um, the traffic and the people had all broken uh, at runtime in editor. And I actually ran into that personally trying to do um, a test of some of the new Lumen features in 5.2 and uh, that's fixed now. So anyone who wants to play with the city sample, that's great. Speaking of samples and actually one very similar to the city sample, the the one that was demoed at GDC that they're calling the electric dream sample is released with one minor little detail it does not have the Rivian. Jacob, how does that make you feel? I'm very sad about that because I really wanted to drive around in the Rivian because
1: I I want a Rivian personally. Sure. You know, it was you good and I both marketing. I got
0: to hang out in one for a, a hot second.
1: Well, actually no, you did.
0: Oh, you didn't do it? Oh.
1: No, if you remember clearly, <laughs> you you were having a good time. Uh, whatever. This is a story <laughs> for another time. But I want I want a Rivian. They announced this week that they're using they're going to add compatibility for Tesla chargers. So I'm in, I'm all in on Rivian and now I can't drive one virtually <laughs> or in real life. And I'm out of luck.
0: Yeah. I, I would have paid. I would have paid something for yeah, me too. Like, yeah, here, like here's our actual vehicle and you can drive around it virtually. And uh, this is exactly how it feels. You know, if you want to put on a VR headset and use a virtual steering wheel, like you're in yeah. Gran Turismo, perfect simulator. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm assuming they have their their own plans for interactive, you know, virtual Rivian demos. I think that's a cool pixel streaming uh, yeah. concept for them. But uh, yeah, I I am disappointed. But I am excited to hear that that is out because yeah. it's it the the PCG stuff. I'm very interested in something I I really want to play with. Um, You did get a chance to open it up and mess around. Yeah, I had it
0: running in the background right before the podcast started. Because what I wanted to test was, what if I just say, add content or feature pack, and I bring in the automotive sample, can I at least drive yeah. around uh, to see, you know, if it feels anything like the demo that's shown at GDC. But unfortunately, and I haven't tried this very much yet, but um, when I when I switch over to the car mode, the car drops down, it's in the scene, I can turn the wheels, I can rev the engine, but the car isn't moving. So there might be some collision. It's probably like the weight or something. Yeah, like, something like yeah, that. Some gravity or, yeah. Yeah, the, car, the cars are definitely harder to um modified than say like the third person character like i was making a game with my kids where it was like they were like make the person run faster and like that was very easy to like just modify the max speed and like the person can run much faster for a car the car in unreal out of the box is based on like actual physics and mechanics and throttle and torque and so there's like a lot more fine-tuning you need to do if you want cargo fast now
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you also have to like understand cars and
0: that's that's beyond my pay grade, right? Um, you have to change the sizes of the gears inside like the blueprint component and it's like, I, uh, smaller, faster, I don't know. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, yeah, that's too much. Yeah. I, I
0: would be excited though, to, if you figure that out to drive it around. I mean, yeah. I did test it in VR. I, I literally did the same thing I just described with the automotive pack. And I yeah. do this with a lot of things now. I did it with the hillside demo. I've done it with the matrix demo where I'll just say add feature content pack, uh, VR um, sample make it VR mode, enable OpenXR, and then just see if it can run. And mind you, it does really help to have an RTX 4090 to do this, but it ran, and it was pretty good, and it feels amazing just flying around this beautifully lush, detailed uh, environment and just being able to get really close to things. This is why it is really nice when possible to have Lumen and Nanite on in VR instead of the traditional forward shading baked lighting scenario is just to be able to go up to like you know here's a here's a branch and it's casting this like ornate shadow on the super detailed rock that has moss and like some berries and it just feels so realistic that that is really something special
1: yeah no i that is pretty cool i i uh I'm jealous that you, you've gone to open it all, but, but really I want to get into the PCG stuff and, and, and cause that scene just looks incredible yeah, and it doesn't look like it will run. <laughs> so I, it, it, I mean, it just, it looks too good. It's like one of those things. Did, cause we never got like the, um, the, uh, Lumen in the Land of Nanite original demo. Right.
0: Which one was, oh, you mean like uh, with like the tons of statues and the big open? Yeah, camera. yeah, yeah. I don't think we did We never that.
1: got the, I mean, I'm assuming it was a huge project, like there was a file yeah. size huge.
0: They definitely took pieces of it for the Valley of the Ancient demo, but yeah. that was different. You know? I would have
1: loved to get that demo, but this demo looks almost just as good with all the foliage and everything else. And the fact that it's procedurally generated, I think it's just so cool.
0: Yeah. So it's about 60 gigabytes. Um, and, and also to relate it back to the, the Matrix City sample, they also do like, a here's the giant map if you want to open that. And if your computer is like, uh, not so ready for that, then you can open up um, a smaller map that is a little bit more feasible. And the documentation also runs through like, here's how you can change the uh, the screen percentage and all these other settings just to help it perform a little bit better if that's what yeah. you need. So I, I have actually gotten um, not this one, but like the Matrix demo to run on my laptop, which is like much less powerful. And so you just have to know like what settings to fine tune and tone down. And also I'll just give a quick shout out for anyone who's in VR. And especially if you're trying to use something like the spectator camera to make something look really cool, maybe you're doing a recording, maybe you're doing a presentation, just crank down VR dot pixel density. The default is one. Um, it's inside the VR pond by default as a console command. If you crank that down to like 0.3 or 0.4, it's going to look not great in VR, but it's going to look amazing to everyone who's watching your screen. So keep that in mind.
1: That's cool. That's a good pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> So you have a bunch of shout outs this week. Do we want to get into it? Yeah, right before we do shout outs,
0: just a couple more quick announcements. Um, NVIDIA DLSS 3 is oh, yeah, finally out right. for Unreal Engine. That's been a long time coming. I think a lot of us were feeling frustrated when we were seeing Unreal Engine games announcing like, hey, it now supports DLSS 3. And a couple of weeks ago, there was a big live stream about DLSS 3 in um, Unreal Engine 5.2. And finally now, as of a couple of days ago, it's available. Um, it has, you know, frame generation. It has some pretty crazy super sampling. If you're using it in VR, it does not have the frame generation, but I see people getting really upset about that. I think that's actually okay, because if you're using any um, VR SDK from Meta or Vario or Vive or anyone else, yeah. that already has frame generation built in. And I would imagine the DLSS version would probably conflict with it. Um, so anyways, yeah. I, I played a little bit with the DLSS 3 stuff, and it's it's feeling great, um, at least as good as DLSS 2 in VR, if, if not a little bit better. Um, so very cool to see that finally out and about.
1: Yeah. Very cool. I, I, DLSS three is, is, is very interesting. I, I played around with it briefly in cyberpunk. Um, I, yeah. I think we mentioned on a previous episode um, cyberpunk release their um, like brute force ray tracing method. I can't remember what they call it. Um, and it's super cool. And You know, I have a 4090 here and I was pumping up all the settings and I wasn't hitting 60 frames a second. So I was like, oh, well, let me try out DLSS3. And it was not good. I was getting like an extra 30 milliseconds of delay moving the mouse. I was getting more frames, but they were coming too late. So I was like, "I, I guess if your GPU is maybe over some threshold, it doesn't work. Or maybe it uses RT cores or there's something going on there but uh i i wasn't getting great results there so i'm curious to hear if you got a you know decent results inside of unreal with it
0: yeah and i was just in the editor i haven't tried it in a package build or anything like that are you referring to uh the overdrive mode in cyberpunk
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: funnily enough i actually just played cyberpunk for the very first time uh a little while ago yeah in a previous podcast i was shouting out the um the uh, VR injector for Unreal that'll be coming out for the public right. in, in not too long. And uh, very generously, um, uh, Alex Nicholas inside that that Discord channel had given me access to his uh, Steam library and uh, you know it was to test things out in VR and, and he owns Cyberpunk. So I hopped into his game save and was uh, very impressed at how, how good it looked both in regular mode, but also inside VR. That's pretty cool. I, I would love to play that game in VR. I think that'd yeah. be really fun. Yeah, everyone should be really excited about this injector. It's it's making incredible progress. There's new games being added all the time. It's still this little kind of private beta tester community, but I know they're really eager to uh, to make it more public soon.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. But
0: that, so that's not an Unreal Engine game, um, cyberpunk. Oh, okay. Well, I, I must have been using another modder then, because there's also different mods. Because in that yeah. Discord, it's a it's called Flat Two VR, and so there's all sorts of games there that oh, are set up to work with. Um, uh VR modes and so some of them have their own custom download download setups and then some of them are using uh specifically just uh the the general version or a specific version of this gotcha. Unreal Engine to VR mod. But of course, yeah, Cyberpunk wouldn't be in Unreal Engine yet because the big announcement was CD Project Red saying that they are now using Unreal for the next version of The Witcher and that I believe will be their first meaningful uh usage of Unreal Engine 5. Yeah,
1: I I think that um well, I think they had most of the DLSS features in like Hogwarts Legacy, for example, which was an Unreal right. game. Yeah. But as, as we spoke on that episode about it, it was not a, a good game visually. It was not a good Unreal Engine game out of Unreal Engine games. So I, I I don't even know if I touched those those settings at the time, but
0: uh, yeah, it, I I can say it looks really good in VR. There are a couple weird little artifacts where your left eye and your right eye are seeing something different. Um, but I think we also know for sure that Hogwarts Legacy was made in like 4.26 or something like that. So certainly not using the the latest features from Unreal.
1: I, it seemed like they were u- they were definitely using Nanite because I saw oh, they the de- oh. they saw I saw the Nanite debug view. Oh, you did say while that. I was playing the game. Mm. Again, I don't know how these debug views got into the game in the first place, like debug arrows and like why they were shipping debug builds. Unknown to me, but I did see Nanite debug view in the game. That's funky.
0: Internet says that it was made with Unreal Engine Four, so I wonder if that was like some weird injection of like Nanite or something like that. They can
1: backport things, right? I I mean, if it's a
0: custom build of the engine, yeah, yeah, they could fork it and like kind of do their own thing.
1: I would assume it's customized in some way,
0: but yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, let's do a few quick shout outs, uh, just pulling up my document. Um, I've been looking at a ton of MetaHuman content. Um, I've made a couple videos that are, have been trying to help the MetaHuman community. I saw people were having some trouble with, um, things like getting your head to stay attached to the body with, um, the, uh, head rotation to continue to work once you've attached to a body. And so I tried to make some content to help with that. People have been very generous, um, saying it has helped them. And I've had a lot of people sending me the results, uh, of uh, what they have made, and uh, I thought I would just show a couple of little um, examples. I'll share my screen for anyone who's watching the video podcast. So I thought this was pretty cool. This is a a custom uh, metahuman animation that looks, of course, like uh, a Navi from Avatar. Nice uh, nice hair and everything there. And uh, even with the audio off, like, if you just look at the lips, and the detail yeah, of like crazy. how the lips come together with the mouth and if you peek into the tongue uh, that stuff is all really impressive and, and for anyone who remembers like with Live Face just getting the lips to close properly was always a something that would feel a little bit unsettling if someone like never quite closed their mouth right uh, so yeah that looks amazing though yeah that looks so much better than it did um, I also want to give a shout out to my friend uh, Jay from JS Films who's been also doing these great like lip-syncing tests where he'll just take, you know, a song. I mean, he's been rapping too and and actually rapping, which looks really good. But he'll take these really nice songs and just set up like a simple environment and just do some like really emotional lip syncing. And uh, that stuff turns out really well. Um, I also, just to run through these shout outs really quick too, because, well, yeah, we're doing pretty good coming up on an hour. Um, Style3D is a plugin I've been seeing more and more of lately. And I've seen this person called Maya Expert on YouTube, who's been uh, doing some really cool stuff. And like, you know, there's so much detail here wow. with everything moving. I believe this is real time or nearly real time. So to have all this stuff moving like the fabric, it actually is in a natural way is super cool. I'm eager to play with that style 3D plugin. Um, I also wanted to shout out, yeah, this is a really good use of a stylized MetaHuman. So this was done with MidJourney, uh, basically a blank oh. model of the head, um, then, you know, Textured send it over to MidJourney and everything mapped to it. And uh, I like this because everyone thinks about metahumans as being like super photorealistic. And this feels like very stylized. And yet it is still taking the same face data and, you know, getting it out to these blend shapes correctly.
1: So you can apply your own custom textures to metahumans. I wasn't even aware that that was the thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, over in Unreal, like you're not going to see no. it over in MetaHuman Creator, oh, but once okay. you That's bring it back it, into yeah. Unreal, you can do whatever you want. So I, I, MidJourney has been a place I've seen a lot of people uh, creating content for Unreal that I'm like kind of OK with because it's like, oh, yeah, it's textures. Like you're just getting yeah. everything to map easily and you're kind of jumping over those technical hurdles to just have something that is already UV mapped correctly. And it's kind of literally drag and drop. Like you take the texture, drop it on your character right. and it's going to look pretty good. Yeah. Um, right. And then I, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this user Locodrome, um, who I, I just discovered with this. And I found this amazing video that actually was pretty popular um, about six months ago, where he took the the opening to Top Gun Maverick, which is also <laughs> the opening to the original Top Gun, right. and he uh, went ahead and did like a rogue squadron thing from star wars and he does a shot for shot recreation of that opening with danger zone and everything playing and it's just all these x-wing pilots like blasting out into space and uh (laughs) i just thought this was such a fun homage to star wars and top gun and it's really good (laughs) that's cool yeah i think that's a lot of work Yeah, I know, yeah, everything with the metahumans <laughs> and the characters and and just to get all the shots to line up correctly, all the depth of field is matching things as well. Um, and, I, and you know, I don't think he's using any original audio, like the song and all the sound effects of like planes taking off from Top Gun. I think yeah. he's using literally all of that here. So he has to make it all match and feel right. Since, of course, we all know an X-Wing doesn't typically sound like, you know, an F-14 <laughs> or whatever they're using in Top True, Gun. True. yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's
0: pretty cool yeah cool stuff um let me just make sure there weren't anything else here i wanted to mention no those are the major ones um and then yeah just there's tons and tons of metahuman animator content coming out like i'll just literally google metahuman animator right now or youtube it and uh, i bet i can find you know someone doing a cool one okay here's (laughs) you can't handle the truth uh Oh, they oh, just trained it on
1: like a a a video from a movie or something.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you oh, got a horse. Cool. Uh, There's ET, <laughs> all done with the human animator. That's pretty cool. Well,
1: how are they how are they doing that? Or how are they getting yeah, the depth from um,
0: it? They are using something called Meta M, or no? Uh, yeah, Meta. I mean, this all says Meta M. I don't know what that is though, but yeah, it seems like somehow they're taking they're getting depth data, data from the. Oh. Oh. So they actually take like Jack Nicholson's face and they're projecting it onto a, yeah. Well, that's something I'll have to spend more huh. time looking at. Um, oh, and there speaking of textures, here's an entire, here you go, Jacob, just for you. Here's an yeah. entire video from Bad Decision Studios. That's all about doing custom uh, metahuman textures. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool.
1: Oh, with yeah. like substance, like deformation. Oh, that's nice. Fun stuff. I heard a lot of, uh, I mean, this is maybe a topic. We, we need to do a deep dive on substrate at some point. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'd love that.
0: I, I want you to teach me about substrate.
1: <laughs> maybe I can, I can find someone who knows more than I do, too. Uh, uh-huh. There's a few folks who I've spoken to, who, particularly in the VFX sphere, who, who think that it, it really unlocks quite a bit of functionality for the engine that, that just wasn't possible before in terms of visual fidelity and, and what you can do with it. So... Yeah, we should do a deep dive on that and maybe bring on a special guest to to supplement uh, uh, my lack of, of time to to play around with Engine, which is yeah. what I'm very jealous of all our listeners who hopefully use as much time as possible to play with Unreal Engine because that's what I would be doing if I didn't have a job.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, me too, for sure. Um, one other shout-out I just remembered I wanted to show is a, a good little use of pixel streaming. Um, this is using something called kernel.world, um, but it is from my friends over at the Unbuilt Gallery, which is uh, kind of an architecture gallery, a virtual space. Uh, Jacob, you are also connected to these folks. And yep. uh, I, the last time I saw their their Pixel streaming, it was like a little bit janky and, and this is much, much smoother. So it seems like on their website right now, unbuilt.xyz, um, you can get a pretty good Pixel streaming experience that uh, just kind of works out of the box now. And I'm kind of curious to learn more about the services they're using.
1: Yeah, very cool.
0: Yeah, and the way the gallery is set up is you you just go and you um, enter into these different artists' worlds, or if, if I, you, yeah, if you click on them, then you 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 have the gallery where you see the pictures of everyone's work, and then you can actually go into their like little Unreal Engine world that is specific yeah, to cool. uh, what they've made, and it's very responsive, very low latency, and uh, looks good. You know, I am on my RTX 4090, but if I was on a Chromebook or something like that, in theory, it would also look very good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, quick, oh, by the way, quick Lumen discovery I made, and I'm embarrassed it took me this long, and I'm sure this is documented somewhere, but I love having emissive materials. As soon as I saw the first of Lumen, I was like, I want all my spheres right. and everything to be emissive. That can cause crazy lumen artifacts. I suddenly noticed the other day, um, actually while teaching uh, my VR course, that as soon as I turned off all my emissive materials, but still had regular lights that were lumen lights, like all the little firefly and you know weird caustic uh, <laughs> compression artifacty kind of things in my scene basically went away. So um, just a random tip that maybe everyone knows except me, but I figured I'd share it just in case not. Yeah I'd love to know
1: why 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 emissives are are different than other other lights but I yeah. guess I I have to imagine it's a different process to trace those.
0: Yeah, cuz they don't have like uniform. actual, you know, candela values the way that that real lights do. It's you know, it's literally just like you're multiplying into your emissive slot and it's it's yeah, that right.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean so like emissives in like deferred rendering, like standard deferred rendering are, are very simple because they don't cast, they typically don't cast shadows. And if they do cast shadows as a post-process or it's an extra pass, which is why you typically don't want emissives casting shadows. I don't know how they do it with Lumen. Uh, I would be intrigued. It might be like a, 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 an actual just ray trace that they run off of it, which would make sense for the noise that you would get. Um, because most of Lumen is using the... Uh, the what's it called
0: the
1: the oh my god the the skin cash thing the uh oh
0: i know what you're talking about oh yeah.
1: yeah this is gonna kill me now um essentially you get a a uh uh all right i got it <laughs> all right the, 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 let, let's move on here but uh, sure 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah i um yeah we gotta do a deep dive on substrate Maybe we should do a deep dive on... on. I don't know if we've really done a, a full deep dive on Lumen since it's gotten all these updates. We should Not really probably. do some... Let us know in the comments if you're interested in, in us doing a, a deep dive on some of these things. I think it'd be pretty interesting. Um, distance is- fields, the global distance field. Oh, global. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So, global distance fields is like... It's a map that essentially describes how far away anything is from some surface in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is that Lumen utilizes that to a great extent to, to map shadows, but I'm assuming with the missives, they might have to trace mm-hmm. individually against that, which would go back more similar to what you would get from like the, the old you know uh, ray tracing um, inside of Unreal, which is probably why it looks kind of similar. So I think yeah. it's very interesting.
0: Right. Yeah. And I remember too teaching um, back in 4.27 with mesh distance fields that we would usually describe that as a way to get like kind of fake uh, ray traced rendering because it did do a very nice job of creating something that looked a lot like ray tracing, but it is much cheaper. And of course, that's why it makes sense that that would become such a key part of uh, Lumen as well. Um, by the way, speaking of teaching, because Jacob, you, you also went through the whole authorized instructor program. Did you know that there's now like a new authorization people can go through? Oh, no. Is it like a higher level? Like do Yeah. I so to... so technically, oh, you no. and I, and, and most of the people we know from the, the teaching side of Epic, we're authorized to teach Unreal Engine 4. We don't technically oh, have an authorization no. for but Unreal Engine 5. They did not so do that. They've made a new, a new thing you can go to, but it, I haven't found time for it yet because it takes like 90 minutes, but you can get certified uh, in Unreal Engine 5 now and just get like a nice new little badge. They were cool. very clear in the emails, like, you don't have to do this. We're not going to like... You know, revoke anything from you if you don't do it. <laughs> but if you would like to have a nice thing that says like UE5 authorized instructor, oh then then you can get that if you want. <laughs> I guess
1: if you either want to learn UE4 or you don't look at my description too too hard, <laughs> then I can teach you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man.
1: That's pretty funny. Uh, That's fine. All right. Um, I,
0: I have to ask real quick, Jacob, are yeah. you going to Unreal Fest in in
1: October? I most certainly will. Right. Um, I did propose a talk we'll see mm. have you read anything very last minute
0: yeah yeah I mean <laughs> yeah in fact I know a number of people that were a, a little upset because the uh, the talks they said the due date was like June 9th or something like that and yeah. usually when you see that people assume like it means like midnight that day and the talk cut off ended up being like two in the afternoon oh wow and I didn't know that I did it website, at, I did but... it literally at like 9 a.m. on that yeah. day So yeah, you were probably like right (laughs) under the wire. And uh, and a lot of people were like, oh, I'll do it after work today. And then they got home and they're like, no, it's too late. Um, So that's too bad. Um, I think I can, I think it's probably okay for me to say that, uh, at Unreal Fest, I'll be teaching MetaHuman Animator, um, cool. in the, the learning lab, which will be really fun. Um, had a good time with that last year. And again, shout out to Jacob for subbing in for me for, um, one of the courses I was supposed to be TAing, but couldn't, uh, that was a good time. Go back and watch our Unreal Fest episode to hear all our fun stories from that.
1: I got to find a way to heist another one of the <laughs> instructor shirts this year yeah uh though it was on our system last year so maybe i can pull it off i i'm very excited for unreal fest again it's back in new orleans Mm -hmm. Uh, for those folks who are considering it when registration goes live i would definitely do it it's a good time it's a great community the events are a lot of fun um i yeah i would definitely recommend it um just don't steal my restaurant reservations otherwise (laughs) i'll be upset um I, I'll also be at SIGGRAPH in oh, okay. um, August, so that's coming up pretty soon. We're about six weeks away. Um, you know, the, the, the company I work for is going big. We'll have a big booth. So if folks are interested in, in meeting up, you know, let us, let us know. Um, we'll be doing um, a, a Birds of the Feather, which is kind of like a round table discussion at SIGGRAPH on, um, on uh, uh, real time. The effects so mm, if that great. interests you
0: check that out um, but yeah yeah I, w- I was invited to help lead a, a birds of a feather at SIGGRAPH this year for VR theater um, which I would love to do but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it out to SIGGRAPH for August so that's a little bit TBD mm-hmm. for me um, I do want to give a quick mention to a, a couple of the events that I've been at the past week for anyone who happens to be in the New York City area or ever coming to New York City these events are over but they happen usually like every month so uh, I was fortunate to give talks at uh, an Unreal Engine social mixer, which was a very nice mix of uh, like virtual production, VR, um, and education people, and that was amazing. The food was amazing. All the people were amazing. Um, And then I mentioned the Unity event, which was also very cool. And then I spoke at an event called uh, NYVR, which I've been a part of since back in uh, geez, 2014 or something like that. And so that's back and bigger than ever. And a lot of these events, it feels like they're finally revving up post pandemic and getting nice attendance and all that. Uh, and then I also spoke uh, on Wednesday night at 3D New York, which is a meetup that usually has people in the archviz community and architecture. And I uh, saw a great presentation from Meng Fan on of shop architects. And then I got to speak about some of the stuff that, that my company's up to. And finally got to talk a little bit more about our, our crazy Austin project um, that has so many brilliant people working on it because there's an article that came out that I'll I'll very quickly just show a moment of Uh, For anyone who's watching the stream, it uh, actually goes into pretty good detail about how this $300 million worth of amenities are set up in this VR experience that um, has been, you know, down the pipe has been like Jonathan Kuhn as the the client, Dbox as the creative director and the folks making all these beautiful renders. Um, Pure Blink as the folks translating these beautiful renders into beautiful unreal engine vr scenes and then my company compiling all this and assembling this on site to be something that can be explorable in multiplayer in the uh the holodeck as it's called but it's you know just a big giant showroom that has been attracting uh, a lot of interest from people this is what a vernacular elevator looks like that's something i didn't know yeah that's like uh, another level of rich man i want to go there I know, and it, it, I believe we're going to be able to do a, a really nice breakdown of this at Unreal Fest. I think we'll have Neil Griffiths from Dbox, uh, Jose Uribe from Pure Blink, and myself just giving like a nice hour-long breakdown of all the crazy Unreal Engine challenges uh, and VR elements of of making all this happen. So look yeah, forward to that.
1: Cool. Who'd you say did the the renders for those? Box and Matthew Dbox. Bannister leading yeah. them.
0: Very cool. Yeah, been a fan of them for for many, many years. So it's cool to be working with them.
1: Yeah. All right. I think we're just about at our usual hour 20 mark, which is <laughs> incredible how we always end up here. But thank you guys for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, we really appreciate all the support we've been getting. Um, definitely like, subscribe, rate, whatever it is you're doing because it's working. All right. And feel free to leave us comments, suggestions for future episodes of the podcast. We'll do our best to try and keep being consistent. I, I like this weekly thing. We should really just set a specific date. Let us know if you'd prefer less chaos and a specific date for us to record these. I can't guarantee release, but at least record
0: them. And, you know, maybe we'll do that.
1: Yeah. who knows? I really
0: wanted to make a pun about chaos or chaos flesh, the, the physics stuff in Unreal, oh, but nothing came to mind. So. <laughs> nothing came to mind. All right, it's implied, it's implied. Yeah. <laughs> but let us know if you like, chaos flash or if you'd prefer more stable releases of these episodes physics yeah stable diffusion neural pathways neural (laughs) AI machine that's a stretch all right all right (laughs) see you guys great thanks everyone (laughs) bye-bye